25 grand flipping liquidation pallets. What's up? What's up? Nick Loper here. Welcome to the Side Hustle Show. Now a proud member of the Entrepreneur Podcast Network. Your nine to five may make you a living, but your five to nine makes you alive. And today we're exploring a side hustle that I've heard about for years, but in 10 years of doing the show, we've never done a dedicated episode on this, and that's reselling return pallets. When you return stuff to Costco, Amazon, Target, Walmart, it doesn't always go back on the shelves. That was kind of surprising to me for one, but it often ends up in the hands of these local liquidators who in turn resell that to resellers and side hustlers like us who go through those and flip individual items for a profit. Today's guest has been doing just that for the last couple of years and has earned over 25 grand in the process. Jamie McCauley is here. He's one half of the dynamic duo behind the super popular Jamie and Sarah YouTube channel, where they cover all things return pallets, real estate investing, furniture flipping, and lots more. Jamie, welcome to the Side Hustle Show. Hey, Nick. Thanks for having me. You bet. You stick around in this one. You'll learn the ins and outs of the pallet flipping game some common scams to avoid, and the best practices to make it worthwhile for you. Your listener-only bonus for this week is my big list of the best items to flip for a profit. These are the proven winners based on dozens of interviews with resellers. You can grab that for free at the show notes for this episode. Just follow the link in the episode description, and you'll pop right over there. But Jamie, I want to start with, I guess, palette number one. Every expert was once a beginner. How did you get into this game? My wife and I were deep into furniture flipping, which was our previous side hustle we talked about on our YouTube channel. But so Sarah was on Facebook Marketplace all the time, and she came across several different groups of their pallet liquidators on Facebook Marketplace. So she joined their Facebook groups, and we kind of learned a little bit about the business, and we said, hey, let's try one and see what it's like. So it was like a cold winter day, and we drove up about an hour north of us to a pallet liquidator and he had some Walmart pallets and we had no idea what we were doing. So we just picked the one that looked like the most fun. So we saw on the outside, there was like some electric scooters. There was like an arcade game. So it just looked like a lot of fun. We didn't end up making a whole bunch of money on it. I think we profited maybe $350, $400 on the pallet, but we had a ton of fun and it kind of got us hooked. Okay. How much did the first one cost? I think we paid five or $600 for it. It was a little bit pricier, but we were drawn in by those more expensive items on the outside. So because you don't always get to see it's kind of like storage wars where you well, you can get a glimpse and you're like, you pick it around, try to see what you can find. But you can't unbox the whole thing there. It's a little bit of a right. treasure hunt kind of thing. Sometimes you can see boxes with pictures or labels on the outside, but you don't know what's inside the palette. And there's all different types of liquidated merchandise and different ways they package things. So uh, yeah, you can have one that's a complete mystery and then others that you can kind of tell what's on the outside based on the SKU numbers and stuff on the boxes. So, Oh, okay. And are you trying to discreetly look on eBay or Facebook Marketplace? Yeah. Like, well, what are these items likely to be worth? Assuming that they even work, I guess, so that maybe there was right. a reason they got returned. A lot of people, when they hear about this initially, the side hustle, they think it's just garbage, like junk returns that no one wants anymore. They're completely broken. And that is the case a lot of times, I would say probably 20 to 25% of the items are completely broken or, or not usable. But sometimes we get brand new product. It's kind of a luck of the draw, which is the fun part. But with reselling, it's a pretty basic side hustle. You just, the idea is you buy low and you sell high. The cheaper you can get your inventory, the better. So it's really just a great way to get cheap inventory. Yep. 
yeah, get a lot of inventory all at once. For a while, I was doing retail arbitrage, going to the clearance aisles of Walmart and Home Depot and Babies R Us was a good spot for me before they went out of business. <laughs> like I had a oh, new yeah. board and I was like, oh, I'm here anyway. It's like, okay, might as well scan some stuff. Nice. But it was very much that needle in the haystack where it's like onesie twosie items. And it's like, okay, this was profitable, but now it's gone. And now I got to replenish that. So here's a way to get a bunch of inventory all at once. If you're spending 600 on the pallet to make $400 in profit, that's pretty good return on investment. Now there's obviously labor involved in a while. We had to drive an hour to get it. And that's maybe the next question is like finding a reputable supplier for me. So I, I would just Googled like liquidation reseller, liquidation pallet near me, or like, how do you go about finding somebody who's hasn't already gone through and scanned all the good stuff? That's kind of one of the more common comments we get on our YouTube videos is this is a scam. I tried it once. I ordered a pallet and never got it. All kinds of stories like that. Or I ordered a pallet and it was all macaroni and cheese, <laughs> stuff like that, you know. So there really is a trick to it. And I guess the number one advice I give people is to never buy them online. There's a couple larger retailers. I think I'm trying to think of one of them. Bulk, B-U-L-Q is a more well-known one. But I don't like the idea of someone else deciding what pallet I get or buying things based on a picture. I like to be able to like, see them, touch them, and kind of see the, inspect them a little bit before I pick them. So number one is just, yeah, don't buy online. You got to find them in person. So there's a few different ways you can do that. We've had the most success with searching Facebook Marketplace. So we just search pallet liquidation. And usually a lot of these guys just have Facebook groups. It seems to be the best way they can communicate with their customers. And so you can kind of watch those for a while and see what types of products they get in. That's the first way. And then the other way I've been using lately is suggesting to people is liquidationmap.com. It is a pretty awesome resource with a lot of reputable liquidators that have like a registry on there. So and you can just search with a map. All right. I'm bringing that up. See if anybody is nearby here. That's typical in terms of startup costs, kind of this five, six, seven hundred bucks as far as initial investment, plus a way, I guess, to transport it. Or do you claim the one you want and they ship it to you. He's like, well, I'm not spitting this in the back of the CRV. The problem with liquidation pallets is they're so large that shipping is not really cost effective. So that's how the guys who are buying them from the manufacturers are making all the monies they're buying by the truckload. It would not be cost effective to send a pallet, spend another $300, $500 to ship it. Then you're, <laughs> all your profit's gone at that point. So you have to really take it with you. So we have a pickup truck. But we've seen a lot of people will like even just rent a U-Haul for the day for 30 bucks and come pick it up. Okay. Depending on the type of pallet you get, you could fit it in a smaller SUV. I've seen people do that too. So um, it just really depends on the size and type of pallet you get. If you have smaller packages, you can kind of Tetris those in a little bit as well. So. Okay. Um, there's a couple near me. One called Cheaper by the Day. That's about an hour away. This one is like maybe 45 minutes. A save by the day bin store. All right. I'll have to go check some of these out. Yeah. Bin stores are a little bit, maybe a fun way to get started as well, because they'll have like a $5 bin and anything in the bin is $5. So you can kind of handpick items more that way. If you're a little too nervous to go for the big one. Oh, okay. I think I did see a video about this where it's like the mad rush when the thing opened and everybody's trying oh, to get yeah. Yeah. That sounds stressful. To yeah, me. there's some people who do that too. They wait out at like 6 a.m. and then go in the bins. Yeah, there's 
a lot of ways to sell liquidated merchandise. So Sarah and I's favorite way is on Facebook Marketplace. That way we don't have to deal with all the eBay fees and stuff like that with shipping. A lot of times, if there is something wrong with the item, I think when people order on eBay, they expect something brand new, almost like an Amazon purchase. So with the liquidated merchandise, sometimes if it's open box or if there's a physical flaw, we'll get someone mad at us on eBay and have to do a return. And we prefer just using Facebook Marketplace for most of our pallet stuff. Do you see that rush when they get a new shipment in and everybody shows up on the same day trying to claim the best pallet or pallets for themselves? It can be competitive. The place we go, he sells probably 50 to 100 pallets a day. So he's getting in truckloads all the time though. So it's not really as much like quick run and find one, but it can get a little bit competitive. If you can see a couple, we've missed a couple pallets before. There's like a Dyson vacuum on the outside and we, we missed out because we're too slow, but there's not typically a ton of competition. There's also quite a few liquidators in our area as well. So interesting. And then you're looking for any clues you can, if there's barcodes or SKUs on the outside of the box or what is visible from the top. Have you found any measurable difference in the value between a Target pallet, an Amazon pallet, a Costco pallet? (laughs) I met somebody years ago who was doing this with Costco and they were like, oh yeah, sometimes we get big screen TVs. It's great. There's definitely a lot of differences in the types of products you get. Our big strategy that we always do, it's, it's a little bit of a safe strategy, but we try to pick a uh, pallet that has one to two items in the outside that are higher dollar value that once we sell those, we'll pay for the pallet and then everything else is profit. So we've gotten a couple where we've had a $300 dehumidifier on the outside. So if we pay 500 for the pallet, but we can sell that for $200, then sell a couple of those items. And then after two or three of those bigger items, the rest of it's just all your profit. So that's kind of our strategy, but there's all different ways to sell through this stuff too. So Some people have their own store, like a bin store or like a discount store. And so they're okay with buying the pallets with like small items on them. Like they'll buy a pallet with a thousand $3 items on it and be okay with it because they can just put it in their store. We're kind of looking for those 50 to $100 items that we don't have to sell quite as many of them to break even, if that makes sense. Is it primarily local buyers in that case? Yep. It's called porch pickup where you just set the item on the porch and then they either pay you with Venmo or cash under the mat and then take the item. So gotcha. that's our favorite way of doing it. So <laughs> like some level of trust involved there. Yep. We've never got scammed. We've never gotten stolen from or anything like that. And we just, we prefer it that way. So, but some people will have like a storage unit that you could go meet them at or, or they want to drive to like a public place, but we just have them come to our house. Gotcha. That makes sense. Okay. So that was on the the reselling side of things. As far as the prices that you're trying to get, you're like, well, if it's in brand new condition, but it's unbought, talk to me about how you're figuring out what to list the stuff at or what to ask for it. We usually ask between 40 and 50% of retail value for the item, but there's a lot of different things that actually affect that. So if the item is in brand new or open box condition, and it's like a name brand item. So like a DeWalt chop saw, for example, we got on a pallet. We're going to ask maybe 75 to 80% retail value on that. But then if there's kind of a random, really niche item that doesn't seem like it's going to 
sell very quickly or if there's like some cosmetic flaws that we might only sell for 30% retail value. So okay, it kind of averages out in the middle between 40 and 50% of retail value. So, And that was always Rob, my friend from Flea Market Flipper, their rule of thumb was generally start at 50% or at least budget or ballpark mm-hmm. for 50% of retail value for their items, especially if it's in use condition. And so I'm like, well, that's something to keep in mind. But a lot of this stuff isn't necessarily used. It's just, you know, customer return. Like I didn't like it. It didn't work for me. I didn't, whatever. I changed my mind. Exactly. Um, so it might be new. You might not like the color or yeah, some people return stuff for all kinds of different reasons. What's been the response to some of the YouTube content about this? Well, there's too much competition about this. It's saturated because I mean, pretty much any side hustle that we've covered over 10 years, like that's the immediate response. Oh, I can't do that. It's too saturated. Curious what you have found over the course of the last couple of years of doing it. In our area, because there's quite a few liquidators, I would say the saturation of these items on Facebook Marketplace is pretty high. So that has caused profits to go down slightly from when we started because there's so many people doing it now. That maybe makes our list prices be a little bit less. For example, those like Power Wheels cars, you can find anywhere on there, even though they're like a $400 toy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you see one for $100, you can find them all day in our area for $100 or less brand new, just because there's so many of those on pallets. So that does affect it. But I still think there's a lot of abundance in the whole industry and ways to still make money even despite that. So eBay is a great place because you're reaching outside of your community. So a lot of times people will say, there's no pallet places near me, you know, or I have to drive three hours to one. That's actually probably an ideal situation because that means in your town, there's not going to be as much competition for the resale market. So I would actually prefer that (laughs) at this point, because I think we'd make more profit. Yeah. How do you turn these supposed disadvantages into your competitive advantage? I came across one story where it was like, well, there's no Ikea near me. And so this side hustler will put together the Ikea order for the community and then rent the U-Haul for the day, go and pick up everybody's stuff. I was like, oh, you know, that's a creative way to go about it. But yeah, there uh, you go. It makes sense. Did you know that roughly half of Side Hustle Nation hasn't started their side hustle yet? If that's you, I get it. Starting and building a business is tough. It takes more than just an idea. There are tons of moving parts, and it's a bit like trying to assemble your airplane in the middle of takeoff. Thankfully, our sponsor, Taylor Brands, is helping Side Hustle Show listeners make that leap and make it all a lot easier. Their comprehensive platform guides you through every step, making sure you have everything you need all in one place. Think of it like your behind-the-scenes partner for things like LLC formation, licenses and permits, getting an EIN, setting up your business bank account, bookkeeping and invoicing, insurance, logos, trademark protection, and a lot more. Taylor Brands helps you handle it all seamlessly. And to get you started, Side Hustle Show listeners get 35% off Taylor Brands LLC formation plans when you use our link. That's taylorbrands.com slash side hustle. Taylor Brands, like a tailor for your clothes, T-A-I-L-O-R-B-R-A. A-N-D-S.com slash side hustle. Start your business journey today with the help of Taylor Brands. When you're hiring, it feels amazing to finally close out a job search and hit the ground running with your new hire. But what if you could get rid of the search part and just get matched with qualified candidates? 
Well, now you can with our sponsor, Indeed. It's simple. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. The matching and hiring platform is trusted by over 3.5 million businesses worldwide to connect with great talent faster. And 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. For my next hire, I'm using Indeed to tap into a talent pool of 350 million unique monthly visitors. And what else is cool is Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use it, the better it gets. And how about this? Side Hustle Show listeners get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Side Hustle Show. Just go to Indeed.com slash Side Hustle Show right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Side Hustle Show. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Okay, so you go to the liquidators, a big yard or warehouse type of operation. You put it in the back, load it in the back. I guess they help you load it, forklift it into the back of the pickup truck in this case. You bring it home and you stick it in the garage. You start unboxing the stuff and see what what kind of treasures await you. This is a typical process for one of these? Yeah, exactly. It's a lot easier than you'd think to find an item. Amazon, the app even has just a barcode scanner. So you just scan the barcode, pulls right up, and then we usually, if it's kind of a mystery box, if there's not a picture on the outside of it, we'll write in marker what it is and then just put it on a shelf in our garage. But a lot of times it'll say right on it what the item actually is. So, And we're part-time pallet flippers because YouTube is our main business. So I think we'd have to maybe buckle down a little bit more organized if we we're trying to do it full-time. But we usually go through one to two pallets a month. So that's, I would say, 100 to... 150 items at the most that we're having to, and then we have a burn pile, not a burn pile, but a dead pile. I forget what people call it. Yeah. Like a dead inventory pile as well. Yeah. This stuff is just, it's not worth anything. Donated or yeah. If it's totally broken has to go in the trash. So yeah. Yeah. That's too bad, but that's helpful to know too. Okay. We're doing a couple of these a month. It's not a full-time thing. I think it's a viable side hustle, but maybe difficult to try and turn into a full-time thing? I don't know. Do you see people trying to make a full-time income from it? I think you definitely could. It's just, it is a grind. So the way we present it on our channel is that, no, you may not make 20 grand a month doing this, but what if you could make two grand a month? Like how much would that impact your life? And what would you be able to do with that money? There's a lot of people hurting financially right now. And so to them, that could be the difference between losing their house potentially I think it's significant and that's why we like sharing it. No, I'm with you. I think it is. I mean, if it's an extra 500 bucks a month, all the way up to how much you want to, how serious you want to take it. I think that's, that's really cool. Well, and actually, so the guy we buy from, he started his business three years ago, just out of his garage. And now he's buying 20 to 25 truckloads a month to liquidate. So he scaled it like massive, massively in three years. So if you're willing to gamble and, and if you have that mentality, you really, you could take it all the way up to be something that big, you know, so. Interesting. So he started as a reseller like you and then just like kept buying more and more and eventually opened up like his own liquidation business. Yep. He started doing one pallet at a time and then decided to do, to do a truckload because let's say I'm buying my inventory at 18% of retail value or 20% of retail value. If he buys a truckload of it, he can get it for 10% retail value. So it's basically like scaling. You just have to have the confidence that you can yeah. 
move the inventory. It's pretty interesting. Yeah, a place to put it all. Yeah, I was yeah. going to ask, like, are there any, you're not dealing with a ton of inventory, but still listing a hundred items and having an organization system to say, well, this one is pending. This is going out to so-and-so. This one I got to ship because it's sold on eBay. Like, are there any tools or tech or systems that you're using just to manage all that stuff? We just keep a simple Excel spreadsheet for a lot of the management and figuring out our inventory and stuff like that. We like to keep track of it that way, but we can drive down the street in our area and kind of tell who's doing pallets. It's kind of funny because they'll have, usually if you're doing pallets, you have to give up your garage. So most people will be parking out in front of their garage and then they'll have like a package or two on the porch for someone to come pick up. It's kind of funny. You can almost tell who's doing it, but it definitely does take, I would say, if you're trying to start out, at least one stall of your garage or a full bedroom is going to take up one pallet. So, And then you're going to have some trash and stuff like that to deal with as well. That's true. Maybe more than your average weekly trash pickup as you start to recycle boxes and throw some other stuff away. Yeah, our, our dump by us does free recycling, so that's great. We try to keep the items in the box, though, when we're selling them, so... I think it makes it more appealing to the buyer because it was more of a new inbox type scenario, but then also we don't have to deal with the cardboard. So yeah, totally. And then it's just a kind of a lot of back and forth communication with buyers on marketplace or on messenger, you know, the dozens of, is this still available? Like all these messages. Yeah. That is almost too much for my brain. That's more Sarah's deal. She's the communicator with people and, and she's good at staying on top of that. Especially when you have a really good item and you maybe price it too low and you get 30 people wanting the same <laughs> the same item. It gets a little tricky, but... Yeah, now all of a sudden, oh, you get an auction going. All right, <laughs> yeah. I'll put it out. The highest bidder, you know, whoever shows up first. <laughs> yeah, right, yeah. Whenever I post something and it's like that, it's like boom, 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 like right away. And you're like, oh, I priced that one too low. Let me right. try that one again. Yeah. And other times it'll sit there for, like, I got a fridge I'm trying to get rid of. It sat there for a month. So if anybody wants a fridge, oh, yeah. you know, come by and let me know. <laughs> there um, you go. Yeah. Have you ever lost money on a pallet? It's like, hey, there wasn't enough in here to recoup our costs here. And then you add in the time involved. And you're like, that was just a waste. There has been one, maybe two times. One time we were like about break even. We probably lost money if you include our time and stuff like that. But so we buy pallets a lot of times based on for the YouTube channel, like, is this going to be entertaining rather than our strategy of looking up the higher value items and and buying it based on the items. We like, if there's a total mystery box type scenario where you can't see anything, we bought one of those in the past and we got a little bit burned on it. There was maybe, I think 30 plus umbrellas in it, like beach umbrellas. (laughs) It was the end of summer. So it was not really we maybe could have saved them, but we, we ended up deciding to donate them because we don't want to have to take up that space. That has happened, but I think, again, if, if you can find the right supplier, if you can even just visit one of these places without buying one, I think there's really a lot of opportunity, and I really believe it's a great way to make money, extra money. So, Is there a rule of thumb that you use for how quick you want inventory to turn or once the last stuff is kind of sold down, you know, there's a handful of items left and we'll go pick up the next one. Or do you think of, I got a six month supply sitting here in the garage, so I, I got to sell the stuff first. Usually we try to, we'll get over starting to feel overwhelmed and we'll be like, okay, let's take a little break because that it's too much at that point. And so we'll wait till we sell through more of the items, but we don't have a, a hard and fast rule because for example, like our last 
palette, we got a Christmas tree on. Not a great time, but it was like a three or four hundred dollar Christmas tree. So it's like, well, if it takes up a few square feet here, that might be worth hanging on to. You know, it had like all the LED lights on it and everything already. So it's like, okay, that would be a scenario where I might hang on to it. Last fall, we got a, a pallet with like a pool chair on it. It was like a Target $400 lounger pool chair. Wow. Okay. We saved it and we just sold it for like 180 bucks a couple weeks ago. So once it started to warm up again and people start looking for that and that felt like free money at that point. So there's no hard and fast rule, but generally we'll keep on to a, a more valuable item for longer. It makes sense. That's kind of the game of, like you mentioned, buy low, sell high, but at a certain point, you're like, well, how long am I going to wait for this to sell high before I say, oh, I either got to lower the price or it's these seasonal items. Like, I right, wait for the next one to come around. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> gotcha. Yeah. It's fun, though. What mistakes do you see people making when they're getting started in this business? Or what mistakes have you and Sarah made? Going back to that first palette, we chose items that we thought we would like or that that would be fun and that, oh, people must want that. That actually ended up, I think, hurting our profit a little bit on some of those pallets because just because you don't like something doesn't mean someone else won't. People buy all different types of items, and just because you think something won't sell doesn't mean that it won't. So one of our best sellers ever was actually we bought a pallet and it had 50 TV antennas, (laughs) which wow, who uses a TV antenna anymore, right? Well, we sold through all 50 of them within like, two months. Wow. And I think we broke even after selling 15 of them, like 15 of those paid for the whole palette. And then just because I guess people with RVs want them or like remote cabins, it's just a cheap way for them to get TV. And we totally would never have thought of that. But so just because something you wouldn't buy doesn't mean someone else won't. Yeah. Letting the research kind of dictate which direction that you go to the extent that you can even see the stuff that you're looking for and having to do it kind of quickly, make a decision on the spot. This is the one, you know, if there's 50 to choose from, I feel good about this one. Let's roll the dice. Sometimes it takes us uh, like over an hour to pick one. We are pretty selective, so (laughs) it's fun. That's all good. And if nothing else, you got a story for the YouTube channel. We used to say that all the time. Brendan and I would say, well, if nothing else, we'll get a blog post out of it. We'll we'll (laughs) see what happens. Yeah. If you travel a lot for work or for vacation, you might be familiar with that feeling you get knowing you're leaving your space unused for long periods of time and you're still paying for that privilege. But hosting on Airbnb means you don't have to leave your home sitting empty when you're away. Being an Airbnb host isn't just a way to earn some extra cash. It's a chance to share your space and make a guest's vacation all the more memorable. You might be thinking, eh, maybe my place isn't the right fit, but don't write it off just yet. Your potential Airbnb might be right in front of you. Whether it's a spare room or even your entire home, there's an opportunity waiting. Airbnb turns your home into a practical and even profitable venture. We just got back from a family trip to Hawaii where we stayed in a great Airbnb, but our place back home could have been a highlight to somebody else's travels, and we could have used the extra cash to help pay for the trip. So if you're curious about hosting on Airbnb, find out how much your space could be worth by visiting airbnb.com slash host. Once again, that's airbnb.com slash host. So on the content business. You guys have had this channel for a few years now, starting with furniture flipping, but also 
real estate investing stuff and now the liquidation returns. What's been going on over there? I think you're over 100,000 subscribers at this point. Yeah. What's been driving the growth there? Our channel is pretty all over the place. <laughs> we did start actually before furniture flipping. We did I did two house flips that we documented. That was when we first were starting oh, okay. out. We get the most enjoyment out of DIY type content. Our real estate has changed our life the most financially, but I think side hustles are what has enabled us to help the most people. So that's kind of where the path we've been taking more recently is focusing on reselling and just side hustles in general, because it's been really cool to hear stories of ways we've helped people. And we really feel like that's what people want to see. And it's also what's helped us grow. Do you try and maintain a consistent publishing schedule where, hey, every week we got to have another video coming out? That's hard. So like I said, we had a lot of different directions of their channel, a lot of things we were interested in. So like the DIY content, we got maybe the most enjoyment out of it. It was also the hardest to produce because you have to do like a full project before you make the video on it. So you have to have like a, almost like a full before and after before you, you post the video. So And last year we were fixing up our own house. So that was kind of like what a lot of our content was about. And so we haven't been very consistent. Now that's done. Yeah. Yeah. I would like to do once a week, but we're not, we're a little slower than that. Yeah. Was there a video or videos that really took off and attributed to the, the popularity of it? When we first started our channel, we were doing the house flips. And then when we did a few furniture flips, that kind of really boosted our channel a lot. You know, and we enjoyed that too. That was our furniture flipping was different from the pallets and that it was a little bit more creative where you hand select a piece and then improve it and then resell it. So it was kind of a combination of that, the DIY with reselling. So that was kind of the initial thing. But then the pallets have really. People enjoy watching them. I think, like you said, it's kind of like a storage wars type thing where you don't know what's going to be on it. And it's kind of interesting to see. So that's really helped boost the channel as well. The palettes recently. It's like the unboxing video, but with like a profit motive. <laughs> like, yeah. oh, I could, I'm unboxing this mystery palette. Let's see what, what we're going to find. Right, exactly. Yep. Now, the question is, if you didn't have the YouTube channel, if you didn't have the content business, yep. would the palette flipping game be worthwhile for you? It's kind of, you almost need to do it to have the content, but it's not as a piece of the revenue pie. It's quite small compared to the content business. I'm curious about that. Last year we hit six figures with our content business. I never thought that was possible. So that was a huge milestone, but if we lost all that, which honestly I'm not planning on, I don't think our YouTube channel will be, I'm not going to be doing it when I'm 50 or 60 years old, you know, so or it'll change into something else. So that's one thing about life is that it's never, it always is changing. So if we got in a pinch and we needed to do reselling or pallets to make it, I'm confident that we could. It's just, I think once you, once you get different streams of income coming in, it kind of gives you a confidence and a kind of opens your eyes to the world to know that you have what it takes and you can make it. So I think we absolutely could resell. Yep. Yeah, I love the idea of just working in public, documenting the process. It's this abundance mindset in a way where I feel like other people could benefit from what we're doing. So I'm going to film it. And there's a couple really inspiring examples from the Side Hustle Show archives. One that I talk about all the time is Matt Boknock, 
his original side hustle is fixing motorcycles in his garage, just hours for dollars. But then, you know, sets up the camera in the corner, films himself doing that. He's got like 100,000 subs on YouTube. He's built this whole cool business on the back of that. And then a recent one, we had Craig Odom, who was doing a backyard nursery side hustle, like selling plants out of his backyard, selling on Facebook Marketplace and stuff, and started the Savvy Dirt Farmer YouTube channel. Hey, this is an interesting side hustle. Nobody's talking about this. I get lots of questions about my garden setup, so I'll start making yeah. videos about that. <laughs> and he's like, that's going to make more than the plants. And it's like, that's I, funny. I just think those are really cool examples of putting content and putting some goodwill out into the world. Now that hundred grand from the YouTube was at just ad revenue or is that your combination? Are you selling digital products on the back of that? That's between ad revenue, sponsorships. We do have like an ebook that made us a little bit, but mostly just ad revenue and sponsorships. So, wow, that's awesome. It was crazy. Yeah. Cause we're, I think three years in now. So that was pretty, pretty amazing that <laughs> that happened. So yeah, um, no kidding. Gosh, only three years in. That's great. Yeah. Your daughters are pretty young, but are they getting involved in the business in any way? <laughs> They make it hard to resell some things because they, they know what we have. And so the toys can be, it's hard to <laughs> for them to see it and then know that we're not keeping it. So it's kind of been an internal struggle recently to try to figure out how to go about that because I feel bad sometimes we'll get my daughter something for a gift and she'll be like, are we keeping this or are we going to sell it? You know? so, oh, oh gosh, like, it breaks your heart. Like, I know. No, no, no. So, this, this one's actually for you. <laughs> right. So like, it's hard. I th- we have kind of a new rule where we don't let them, we try not to let them see, but definitely don't let them play with, with the pallet items. Cause it's, it's too heartbreaking. <laughs> so, <laughs> oh gosh. <laughs> yeah. Try to find the ones without kids toys. in them. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Walmart ones are tough. Cause they're usually a lot of toys. But okay, yeah. good to know. Good to know. <laughs> don't, don't let them uh, see those. Yeah. But take them on the trips, get them involved from a young age. I think that's kind of cool to see. Let them see mom and dad doing the work and like, hey, this is part of the business. Yeah, we had a little garage sale last year with some of the pallet items and we had them do like a little lemonade stand and kind of try to, they're a little bit young, try to teach them about earning money and saving money and stuff like that. But that'll be to come. Yeah. We recently had career day at the elementary school and my first grader just shows up. He's just like wearing shorts and a t-shirt. Like, (laughs) is this for career day? What do you, what do you want to be when you grow up? Rich. (laughs) I was like, wow, well played, sir. I wear what I want when I'm rich. (laughs) Oh my goodness. You know, usually it takes a little bit of of work to get there, but we'll, we'll have to work on um, (laughs) the middle part of that plan. That's funny. That's awesome. Cracking me up. Well, this is cool. What's next for you? What else has got you excited these days? I think now that we have a little bit more focus with our YouTube channel, I want to try to stay focused on it for a while and try to increase the content we do put out, try to make more of it. We have an editor we recently nailed down. So we're, yeah, excited for the future and to try to continue to help more people and scale that business. Well, very good. You can check Jamie and Sarah out, youtube.com slash at Jamie and Sarah, really entertaining channel over there and appreciate you stopping by to join me. Let's wrap this thing up with your number one tip for Side Hustle Nation. Doesn't have to be pallet flipping related, just whatever entrepreneurial wisdom that you'd like to impart. As you get your side hustle going, as you're building your side hustle. So instead of having the mentality of, okay, if I can get to this amount of income, I can quit my job. Just think about it more as a journey and just be excited about where you'll be in 10 years and try not to focus on the amount of income you make as your primary source of motivation or goals. 
Yeah. Tell me about walking away from your job. Was there a revenue target that you guys were you know, shooting for to hit to make that happen? I haven't been employed for over 10 years. My wife and I did a wedding photography business that kind of took off right after we got married. So okay, nice. that was something that really we were blessed by. And our salaries are quite low because we were just out of college. So as soon as we surpassed those, we didn't have any kids. We didn't really have any risks. So we just <laughs> dropped the job. Yeah, as as we could. you're like lifelong entrepreneurs. It's really yeah. cool. Life is different now. So I think I'd have to go about it a little bit differently because we have two girls and we have house and just different things to to worry about 11 years down the road. But yeah, just not focusing as much on the income mark to quit my job is just I'm going to work hard at something and look back and be proud of myself in 10 years. Oh, very cool. Well, I'm excited by everything that you've built, everything that you'll continue to build. Again, YouTube, look up the Jamie and Sarah YouTube channel over there for all things pallet flipping, furniture flipping, DIY projects, and whatever whatever the next thing coming down the road happens to be. Lots of good stuff there. My notes here, you know, I have one of my more frequent notes, you know, start small, start low risk, kind of keep your expenses low. And it's one of these side hustles where you can give it a shot for not a huge upfront investment. You can see if you like it, you can see if you are ROI positive, and you can see if it's something that is worth pursuing. I like this idea of documenting the process. Lots more work involved through filming and editing. It's like if you're committed to that path, good things can happen, but it is a lot more work involved to go out and create the content around that. But hey, three years later, we got a six-figure content business. So you can see what can happen when you do dedicate the time and effort to that. So once again, your listener bonus for this week is my list of the best items to flip for a profit. Maybe you'll go out and find some of those in a pallet near you. These are the winners based on conversations with lots of professional resellers. You can grab that for free at the show notes for this episode. Just follow the link in the episode description and you'll get right over to that. Big thanks to Jamie for sharing his insight. As always, you can hit up sidehustlenation.com slash deals for all the latest offers from our sponsors in one place. And thanks for supporting the advertisers that support the show. It really does make a difference. That is it for me. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you're finding value in the show, make sure to share it with a friend. Until next time, let's go out there and make something happen. And I'll catch you in the next edition of the Side Hustle Show. Hustle on.